Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. From MCIE. Inclusive education benefits all learners, and if you want to hear why, stick around. You're not going to want to miss this conversation. My name is Tim Villegas from the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education, and you are listening to Think Inclusive, a show where with every conversation we try to build bridges between families, educators, and disability justice advocates to create a shared understanding of inclusive education and what inclusion looks like in the real world. You can learn more about who we are and what we do at mcie.org. I am on vacation for much of June, so I'm recording a few intros and outros from one of my favorite places, Circle of Friends Coffee Shop in Woodstock. So, so pardon the background noise. Colleen Tomko is a parent and advocate for inclusion, a Penn State graduate, a graduate of Partners in Policymaking and president of Kids Together, Inc., an all-volunteer, unfunded nonprofit. Colleen Tomko believes that all students should have the opportunity to learn and grow in an inclusive environment. She has seen firsthand the benefits of inclusion for her son, Sean, who has a disability. Sean has been fully included throughout his education. He also uses a communication device and other technology. Here is what we cover in today's episode why inclusion is important for all students, regardless of their abilities. That advocacy is essential for ensuring that all students have access to an inclusive education. And that everyone has a role to play in creating an inclusive society. Before we dive into today's fantastic interview, I've got a question for you. Have you ever felt like you're losing touch with the people in your life, but you don't want to be glued to social media all the time just to get updates? Well, Fret no more because I've got the perfect solution for you. Together Letters. It's a fantastic tool that can bring you closer to your loved ones. How does it work? It's simple. Together Letters is a group email newsletter that gathers updates from all its members and combines them into a single easy-to-read newsletter for everyone. No fancy apps or complicated platforms needed, just good old email. We even use Together Letters to keep our Think Inclusive patrons connected with each other. 
Plus. Here's the best part. Groups of 10 or less can use it for free. So why wait? Head over to TogetherLetters.com and sign up right now. Reconnect with your favorite people because Together Letters has got your back. And now, my interview with Colleen Tomko. So first of all, hello. Nice to meet you. And you. <laughs> I feel like we've been trying to set this up for a long time. So I'm glad that we, we finally connected. Yeah. And so I know you or I know of your work through Kids Together. So why don't we start there? You know, why did you start Kids Together? You know, and how does that connect with the cartoons and the parent side and everything? So give me a little bit of background on that. Okay. So basically, it goes way back to my growing up. I grew up knowing people with disabilities that did everyday things. And so my mom had, I just want to go over a couple of those because this is what led to what I do. Yeah. So my mom had her own tax and accounting office and she met a man named Daryl and uh, she needed to get copies made for her business. And he, he used the wheelchair and had limited hand movement and she befriended him and then realized like that he couldn't get out and stuff. And she helped him get an adapted van and so then we ended up like just knowing Daryl, he'd come to our house and hang out and go to picnics and just do stuff with us. And he was just a friend of the family. And then my grandmother had a friend and her name was Frances and she would go to bingo with her or come over and watch TV with her and that. And so I just grew up that, you know, Frances' speech was a, her speech was a little bit slow and odd. And then she might need help like dialing the phone or counting your money or something like that. And someone would just say, oh, Francis needs help and somebody would help her. And it was just the way that I knew that things were done. And then my mom was taking a class at the community college and she met a lady named Lexi in her class who was using a power chair and found out that Lexi lived right down the road from us. And so then she ended up like driving her power chair down to her house. And then my parents would put up a, a wooden ramp, like a you know plywood and she would come in and they and drink wine and laugh and everything like that. So, so my perspective growing up was that, you know, we didn't call people by disability terms. We didn't like say something negative or think that they shouldn't be there. I just assumed that people with disabilities were part of what everybody else did and that they just, you know, that I knew that they ran a business, they went to college, they went to bingo, they had friends and people just helped them out. And and we didn't use the terms like I didn't know until I was an adult that Daryl had quadriplegia, quadriplegia from a diving accident. I never even thought of Francis as having an intellectual disability. I was like 30, 40 years old until I reflected on that. I was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I like just didn't even, you know, it wasn't a question. And Lexi had cerebral palsy and I'm still friends with Lexi. And so when Sean was born, I probably came into this whole scenario as a different perspective for most people because I thought. People with disabilities were always fully included and stuff. And 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 so when we decided to like, well, you know, he's old enough, we want him to go to preschool or something. I mean, we knew he had disabilities, but we didn't, I didn't think any, I didn't think it would be so hard to get him in stuff. So then when we approached like a preschool, then they we started, that was when it started, like, you know, he needs there's places for people like him. He needs to go somewhere else. And and that and that was like a theme throughout his whole life. There's places for him. He has to go somewhere else. So we looked at these other places. And um, they weren't learning through play or child stuff. It was like all therapy and rigid. And I was like, I, I don't want that for him. And I found a place that was, um, it was called reverse mainstreaming. It was the best I could do, but at least they learned through play. 
and there were kids without disabilities with them. So when I grew up, I just thought there weren't a lot of people with disabilities. <laughs> so I didn't know everything was segregated. So that to me was my motivation of like, here I have Sean, I'm just expecting we're just going to accommodate him and have the life, you know, like anybody else. And then to me, it was, that was a big shock. So we got him in this early childhood school that had the reverse mainstreaming, at least he did playing. And there were kids without disabilities in the class. And then I, I started realizing like, this is going to be a fight for the rest of his life. Like it hit me like a brick wall. So I started going to advocacy stuff and I went to C2P2, the Partners in Policy Making for Pennsylvania. And then I hooked up with other parents and we decided to start doing Kids Together um, to help promote, you know, that people should just be part of the community and be included. So the fest, and then all, at the same time, while I was taking the classes, I, I doodle. That's my, I've doodled my whole life. That's what I do. So we're in these classes learning about the history of disability and rights and all that. And I'm, I'm getting mad because I didn't know it was such a struggle. And I just draw these things out. And then everybody else was saying like, hey, you need to put these on T-shirts or, you know, mugs and stuff like that, because you're just capturing like what we're all feeling. And that, this, to me, it was like therapy. I wasn't I really never made it a business like, but I everybody wanted it. So I just kept drawing and it helped me put things in perspective. And then we also started I started the kids together. It was like a large kids festival. And the purpose was to promote inclusion in the community in ways that we didn't think were happening. Or like once your eyes were opened up and you saw, you know, there's there's steps everywhere. There's people are told to go somewhere else. There's all these barriers. So the Kids Together Festival was just supposed to be like, you know, it was really built to just educate the public and to model for people in the community. So we had people with disabilities participating in it. We had people with disabilities as performers. We had adapted material. So like kids would do art projects, but we had adaptations. So any, it was universally designed. You could use the, the large grab handle or you could just use the small paintbrush. And we, we tried to just model like this is not a big deal to, to have welcome everybody. And then we also did like, I call it propaganda. Like, so we had like signs <laughs> up, like, you know, like IDEA allows kids with disabilities. Like we just put them all around the festival. So like people were just being bombarded while they were there having fun and seeing it and reading it. And then we also gave out materials and we had booths. So we would have like a booth from maybe somebody that helps employment for people with disabilities, but it would be next to like the hospital that's doing blood pressure. We didn't want anything to promote like anything was different. We wanted to just model it for everybody that people, this can be done and people should be together and it's not a big deal. And it was really, really successful, but it was really, really a lot of work. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so a question about that. When did you, like how many years did you do that we in did a row? It, yeah, we did it for about five years in a row. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, and people were sad when it stopped. But I, but then Sean was getting older, and I had the battle hit in school because people go like, "Oh, it must be hard having Sean." No, it's the battles I have to fight for him that are hard. Like he's really easy. He's fun. He's entertaining, and it's just that. So that I had to like to make him a priority, even though I, even everything I do for Sean is is bigger than him. I, I would never just say, "Oh, this has to be for him." It has to be systemic wide. I it has to I, I don't like focus just on him, but I have to get him first. <laughs> so and then at that also we were uh, we foster adopted at, at that time. So it was just and then he ended up having behavior issues. So 
it, it was very difficult to deal with the schools and fighting for, you know, the IEPs and getting services for both of them. And that, that just became more time consuming, <laughs> very time consuming. <laughs> yeah. So Sean was included. It's Sean, right? Yes. So Sean was included from like kindergarten through. Sean was fully included. Like I, I, uh, Sean was fully included from kindergarten. I, I went to the school a year ahead of time and said, he's coming. You got to get ready. And they didn't take me serious. And that's one of my cartoons, like, you know, registration. They asked, can you hop or run? Will he not, will he sit still? He's not able to walk. So like they were, they was not the, they weren't inclusive questions, even though apply to go to kindergarten. And then we had to have a meeting with like 25 people telling us that he should go somewhere else. And, you know, and we just stuck because I had the training. I had like all the policies and laws and precedents from court cases. I was ready. And they, they had 25 people to convince us that he needed to go somewhere else. And uh, we stood our ground. But I, the first notice of recommended placement said the reason was because the parents demanded it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I knew we weren't off to a great start. And that's why that became like a full plan job. And really, it's not. Sean's not that hard. The job was fighting to get his needs met, but not not him. He's easy. <laughs> where did they want? Where do they want to send him? Well, they of course in Pennsylvania we have intermediate units, so they had rooms for categories of disabilities. So he was going to be in the nonverbal communication, which I went and looked at, and I just said to them like, so I I, did, I literally asked them. I said, so you want us to send him out of our community into a class? With kids that don't communicate to learn to communicate, <laughs> like, <laughs> and I didn't have an answer. I just, I got, I did get snarky over time because it just seemed like all this is ridiculous. Some of it, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is. So I mean, I, the only part I can tell you too is that Sean. I know one of the questions, and I'm probably jumping around, but please um, jump around. Sean went through all of his education and was exposed to all the things that everybody else was exposed to. He read Catcher in the Rye, the five people he meet in heaven and all that. I don't know how much he, any kids understand him, you know? So we had it in there. He could ask leading questions. He could participate. He, you know, studied the history, the stock markets. You know, most of us don't remember very much of what we learned in school, but he was part of it. And by the time he was in high school, the people that were the best with him were his peers. We had like, we did a maps and a path. He had a circle of friends. By the time he got into high school, like the kids just took over doing stuff for him. So he, they came to the inclusion specialist. Sean had somebody that would get the lessons ahead of time, look at the schedule and then add, add put the adaptations or accommodations that he needed. So whoever was working with them knew what his goals were, what it would look like. And, you know, it was just, it became matter of a fact where then teachers didn't even need somebody to help them because they just were like, oh, when we do this, this is what Sean does and that's his goal and this is what it looks like. So, but by junior year of high school, his peers just went to that inclusion person. She came in like two half days a week and they said, oh, well, we're going to the prom and Sean has to go. And then she told me, and I was like, oh, I wasn't ready for this. I was thinking senior year, but they were like, the kids took over and they said, we have to go and make sure the building's accessible. We have to make sure that the DJ will play Elvis because that's his favorite movie m music. We have to make sure there's food that he can eat and that, you know, the aide can come and, and you know, and, and they worked it all out. Boy, did I just said what happens at the prom stays at the prom. He had two dates. <laughs> we got a limo <laughs> and he came back smiling, let me tell you. And then the next year, 
he went to this, it was just, he's going on the prom. It's just a matter of fact now. So they just, everybody just repeated it. And I really don't know exactly what happened, but I know he had fun. He had a different date that year. And then after that, my, the, my favorite story about Sean's inclusion is when he was going to high school graduation, typical years, they would walk in across the football field to their seats. And Sean usually needs to hold on to someone to walk. But for graduation, we were trying to help him learn, be able to do as much independently, you know, because it was like a proud moment and all that, or have a peer help him. But he really wanted to walk on his own. So we had, they, they changed the whole graduation. Instead of walking across the field, they walked on the, on the, the, the track where, you know, for the running, racing. And then that's smooth and it has straight lines. Now on the, on the football field, there's, it's not smooth and the lines, he thinks that they're steps. So every yard line, he would have to stop and, you know, on the racetrack, he could, the running track, he could just go straight down. So he walked down the running, the running path on his own for graduation in the lineup with everybody else, which was pretty cool because, you know, but the, when he was young, one of the reasons they told us, you know, one of many reasons they told us he couldn't be included was they used to use the phrase, the gap, the gap is only going to get larger. And so when he's at graduation, he's in a line and he is slower. So there's kids in front of him and they're moving and there's kids in back of him and he's holding them up. And yeah, the gap is getting wider <laughs> right at that moment. But the entire stadium is cheering, go Sean, go Sean. So at that point, I knew that the path we took was absolutely the right way. Everybody there knew him. It wasn't a problem that there was a space or he was holding anybody up and everybody was cheering him on. And I just thought if he wasn't included throughout school with those peers and the people in the community that knew him, nobody ever would have known him, like at all. And he wouldn't have had any of those experiences. So, but then he went on from getting, oh, and then the next, that day, the, the press was there too. And that was, this was just, his graduation was awesome. The press was there and they took a picture. And, and then the next day, it said, the headline says, you know, students from Palisades graduate and it's Sean standing there getting his diploma. And uh, the article is just about graduation. It doesn't say anything about disability. It was just like this. He's just here and he graduated like everybody else. Right. Everything's normal. Yeah. So I was like, man, we nailed wow. it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Because of Sean's experience in school, how did that affect other families who wanted the same thing? I mean, did it, I guess, did it affect families that wanted the same thing? Yeah, we all, like, like I like to tell people is like, if, if I came to a meeting with another family, then they were like, well, see, Sean and I, we were connected with the legislators and with the people at the state offices. We testified in Congress. We were, I was on all these, you know, committees and that. So if other families were seeking to get their kids included and I went to a meeting with them, then, then things would happen. But the families that we weren't connected with, they got steered still into the segregated. And sadly, like after, so, I mean, I went through a lot to get Sean included. I was on the strategic planning committee and I was on all these things. And, and like I said, I went to Congress and all that. And then, so Jesse, his younger brother comes up a few years later and it was like the door shut. I had to start all over. And I thought like, they, they know I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm persistent, you know, but they, Still, we're like, we're not going to do the things he needs. And so I think the door closes behind us really quickly. And that's kind of scary. I mean, you could do all that work. I think some of it is because, you know, staff overturns the system, just does what the system does. And, you know, it's really difficult. I think we can do all this training 
and help people and make a difference for one kid. But unless we change the entire system, it's just going to keep going back. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the parent side cartoons, how many did you, how many did you make? A lot. And they're not even all in the store, but I'll tell you what, a lot, most of them are from my acts. I, I put that on the website that I have, but they were from my real experiences. Mm-hmm. Like one time they were doing, I don't know if they were doing a field trip to look at the middle school or something. And Sean's cord for his communication device, I realized it was at home and I took it down to drop it off in the class, knowing that they were doing this field trip, whatever it was. And, uh, and there's Sean in the room with the eight. And I said, why isn't he on the trip with everybody else? And then that was one of the answers I got. Well, when we said everyone was going on the trip, we didn't mean Sean. And that's why I threw the bus, like no child left behind and all that. Like they only did stuff like that once because they knew that <laughs> I was going to be on it from then on. But I had to like literally clarify every everything so that that miscommunication didn't happen. And in second grade, Sean was really at a teacher that was really abusive. And in a somewhat comforting way, she was abusive to all the kids. I don't know if that's warped, but <laughs> she would like hold them down and write these notes. Like, you know, he's physically not able to hold papers. And she'd say he dropped them. So she had to hold them down on the floor. And she, when I finally got through to her one time, she said her goal was to prove she wanted him in her class so she could prove that kids with disabilities didn't belong. So that cartoon, then I found out later, she ended up having a brain tumor and I didn't know how to draw that in a cartoon. So I drew it like a car accident. I just said one moment, you know, kids don't belong in my class that. And the next moment I show like a car hitting the teacher coming out the door. And then the third panel, I have the, her in a, in a wheelchair saying, I have a right to teach. I shouldn't be discriminated against because that's literally what happened. So my cartoons are not like something I just like fantasize it. It's like based on something that happened. <laughs> oh my goodness. And then so- it, it helps me see like the whole picture like this. And then, Cause I like, even now I'm like, I'm like throwing words at you. And I know I talk fast and stuff, but like, if I put it in a picture and I really capture it, I think that helps people understand it easier. Do you, so do you have all the, you, you said you don't have all the, the cartoons on the website or, you, or do you? No, I have the, the parent side site. And I have a lot on there and I have like ones I let people call. I'm probably just going to end up just, I don't make any money at all. Like zero. So I don't even know what I'm going to do with them i just thought like it was a release and then people said put it on the store and sometimes people buy a couple things i might make a dollar or something (laughs) that's about it so i'm not sure but i even have ones that i started sketching in like filing cabinet and things like that because it's just when i get upset or mad that's how i here we go okay so go under the parentside.com and then go under ieps that's what the the controversial ones are (laughs) (laughs) Let me just look here. We'll we'll definitely put all this stuff in the in the show notes and the oh so this is these are all designs. Yeah, oh, they'll probably see. under the IP one. Mm-hmm. Side. Online store. So even like the one I have like the steps going up, it says welcome all kids. There's schools around it that are like that, you know, and you're just like, well, hello. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well <laughs> so I, I also worked with Arcadia Inclusion Institute for five years doing this with the teams of teachers and district administration. And we would, they would come to the summer institute at the university mm-hmm. and then we would be planning and help them with the mission for inclusion. And then they would have like teams and go back and I would read their journals and we would have presenters. And 
So I got a lot of their the teacher administrator perspective. Like I kind of get where they're coming from, and they're not all evil. <laughs> they're all like, <laughs> you know, they're like stuck in this system too. Exactly. And then I did, you know, and then I did include me from the start, which then I worked directly with kids in the classroom and the teams and the parents, you know. And I I really think that ninety percent of the issue is miscommunication. People don't yeah. really say what they mean, and they don't hear. And they don't listen to each other. And I think that that is part of it is resolvable, but a lot of it is still systemic. We had to, we, we shouldn't have special education should just be general ed and then special education is an add on. It shouldn't be a separate. Like you should be in general ed and you get special ed services, period. Like nobody's a special ed student. Everybody is just a student. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So a couple things that, that popped up include me from the start. So are you, it, how, how are you involved with Include Me from the start? I was just, I was a coordinator for okay for, for like four, five, six years. I don't remember anymore. But then, you know, everything happened and I kind of, my younger son had a lot of behavioral issues. So I kind of put that back, go back on the back burner again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, okay. And then, well, now I forget that second part. I think it was, what were we just talking about before that? You were talking about, hold on, it's going to come to me. Oh, general ed and special ed being too, okay, and misunderstandings. So uh, I, I was just on this uh, panel, I was just on this panel at Georgia State University, and there was a director of special education on the panel. And something she said was like exactly that, like the understanding that services are portable and that there's really only one kind of student. And it it's like, it's amazing how many people don't understand that, that are in that role. Right. Right. Yeah. So like, where's the breakdown in miscommunication? Because you, like, if you read the law and I know you read, I, I know you re- you've read the law. Um, I mean, it says it in the law. Yeah. <laughs> so where is the breakdown for people? Because like you said, I don't think, I don't think there's the majority of people in school districts come to work thinking they're, you know, they're not, they're like, okay, we're going to exclude kids today. You know, that's oh, not their, yeah. that's not their mindset. But and, so- and they don't even know they can ask. Mm-hmm. Well, and then I had a scenario where I helped the teacher and, uh, and I did a video for their school. I'm not at liberty to, you know, whatever. But so I, I helped this teacher. I did a video of how great I, I came in and helped her with this little girl. And uh, here's suggestions to help her be included more successfully. And she just, and they were just, she just embedded them in the class and they helped everybody. So I made a video of it because I was like, this, like, this teacher is awesome. She implemented this kid is happy. Everybody's happy. What a great thing. We showed that to the school at like a, you know, assembly or, or whatever, a work meeting, whatever. And uh, after that, she came to me and said, I really wish you wouldn't have shown that because the rest of the staff are now mad at her because they thought it was going to increase the expectations. I was like kind of floored by that. <laughs> but so but some it, of it's it so... Is like they don't know, but then they also, the culture is this is what we do. Right. And I guess maybe they're not taught it in, in in college or when they're getting their degrees. And so then they get in. But even those that have this 
they come into it and they seem like they're going to be inclusive and real, you know, diverse. They get into that culture and they they just change. It changes them. Yeah, it's re- yeah, it's really hard. It's hard. I went to for my teacher training. I went to a very inclusively minded program, and so when I got into education and I got my first job, I was very surprised at how not inclusive the school district was. And it, and you know, when I first started, I I was I was skeptical that inclusion worked. But it wasn't until I saw it work that I was like, oh, of course it works. And then then I was able to, you know, advocate for my students and, and stuff like that going through my career. But even when people saw it work, even with my students, that didn't necessarily convince them. No, right. You yeah. know, so so I don't know. It really well, you I, said it you you said it before about the about the system needing to change. Yeah. Yeah. I think some teachers don't, and I used to, so we had a vision statement for Sean and we read it at the, the same thing, it would change as he got older, the beginning of every IEP meeting. So if you're going to suggest something that doesn't lead to something in his vision, we're not doing it. You're not pulling him out to teach him soccer from reading because soccer player is not in his vision. That's like, I would literally say this. So, so we just got them on board, but they were always afraid to speak up. I had to say like, like they, the, so I, I would, I would ask like, you know, can we do this? And they were afraid to speak up. So I'd have to say like, what is it that you need? Like, do you, do you not know how to implement his AAC in the class? Do you need somebody else because it's too much work? I would just like break it down. They were intimidated to say that they couldn't, that they weren't the teachers that knew everything. And I was like, you know, so either like, you know, you have to, it, Admit that you need help or support or technology or whatever it is you need, and then get that to make it successful, you know, or you're just going to be harming the student, which you got into teaching to teach students. So like, you know, like you can't, you can't be like this really good teacher that doesn't speak up when you need help. Then I think you're in the wrong field. I would just say that at the meetings. I usually got them to speak up because that's how we got a lot of services in there. I was like, you know, if you don't know how to do it, that's fine. I'm not looking at you as, as a lesser teacher or professional because Sean's complicated. I mean, no, who's going to understand his adapted sign language and all the things that he needs in his technology? I don't expect anybody to, but I do expect you to give it an effort and to figure it out and to ask for the help. So I would kind of like, I was just really persistent, but I don't think a lot of people will do that. Well, I, I guess that was one of my questions is that I think you found success doing and advocating the way that the way that you did right but not everyone is able to for whatever reason advocate like you so i wonder if that's the reason why people even though they may have a vision for their child to be included that they're not as successful i will say and i've said this at trainings because i'll go out i'll say that fighting for sean to be including and advocating for him was literally one of the most difficult things i've done in my life and and like I'll say it a million times, it's not about him. It's the people that look at him as lesser and aren't willing to support him or even be abusive or whatever. Like all that is heart wrenching. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of barriers. But for me, I had the skills, the training, the emotional stability, whatever, all of that to be able to keep coming back. And a lot of people don't have that. I mean, I had, you know, support people like I had a tribe, I call it my other families from Partners in Policy, 
I had, you know, just a lot of things, a lot of family support. And, but, you know, but again, I, in, in my case, it was worth it. And I would do it again because the outcomes were beyond incredible. So let's talk a little bit more about outcomes. So Sean is out, out of school now. What is he doing right now? Well, he left graduation and that was also a big fight. But then he went on, he did four years of working on his IEP goals at Lehigh University. And he literally said on his communication device when we were having a meeting, I go Lehigh. And I was like, you want to go Lehigh? Yes. So I said, well, then we're going to figure that out. And the school district wanted him to leave and again, go to an IU class <laughs> to learn like filing or something. And I, I had to be like, he's been included his whole life. <laughs> and you know, this is like, we don't back down. And you want me to put him on a bus to another community an hour away to learn something that's not, you know. And so what we did was we went to Lehigh University and talked to some of the staff there. They, at that time, had a, like a program that supported teachers learning about in- inclusive education and that. And they were willing to create a program for Sean to audit the classes and work on his IEP goals on campus. So we, he did that for four years. So he just went to college like everybody else. I mean, he didn't go to get the credits and all that, but he had that experience. So that was really awesome. <laughs> and then after that, well, there was a, the, we couldn't get him in a waiver. So there was no services then. Then I was like, I'll be damned if I'm going through all this and he's going to sit at home, you know? So, so then I said, go to the state and the county and up the chain and argue with everybody. I could not get him in the consolidated waiver, which is the waiver he technically should have been in. Um, we found a way to get him in what was at that time called the independence waiver. It was really for people who were physical needs. So I was like, we'll just play the game. We just made his physical needs the priority. And, you know, because you can't, like I always said, with somebody who's nonverbal, you don't know, you, you can't use a standardized test and you don't know what they know or what they're not able to respond to or say or what they don't have the vocabulary for. So I can always argue his physical needs are or first. So we ended up getting him in that independence waiver, but that took some time. I just remember one time they wanted to get him in like a personal waiver. They suggested like 30,000 a year or something like that. And, and again, I'm snarky. I'm just like, oh, sign him up for abuse. Cause what are we going to get for 30,000 a year? <laughs> we, like, you know, gonna be able to... so anyway, now he has this, uh, he's in the community health waiver. They changed it into that. And so he has uh, 23 hours of or no, 28 hours of employment and community-based. Sorry, I thought I'd turn these alerts off. Ah, let me see if I can make that stop. Oh, did I? Okay, I thought I lost it. <laughs> no, um, I'm here. So so now he has 28 hours of home and community, home and not community, has community and employment. So he is working part-time at a law firm. And so he does two hours a week and he has does have an aide that supports him. He's able to do much of the job independently and they pay him like $9 an hour. And yeah, it's only two hours a week, but he's got a paycheck. He has a, he talks about working. He gets dressed up. He's got a desk there. You know, he did, was doing volunteering at the library, but COVID kind of stopped it for everybody. But he's like a superstar at the library. He goes in there. He just got like this birthday card with like 50 million signatures. Everybody was wishing him a happy birthday. So he goes in there and he's like the guru of all the DVDs and stuff. And everybody seems to know him. And then he also, he goes to Good Shepherd, has a, it's a rehab center, but they have like an adaptive gym. I would like to work on getting all the YMCA's to have accessible equipment, but that's a whole nother. <laughs> but you can go there and they have like a, you know, power assist bike he can use. And then you can, 
adjust like when you're doing the arm lifts and that you can adjust it for your limited range of motion and things like that. And so he goes there twice a week and then he just tells the aide. He just gets on his device and says, you know, I want to go shopping. I want to do whatever. So he's I, I tell people when they meet him, I'm like, he's the boss. He's in charge of his care and he's in charge of what he's doing. And then so if they like laugh at that or scoff, then it's like, you know, OK, well, then this is not a person that I want working with them. Like they have to understand that. So he has a really good aid right now. We're fortunate because with the shortages and stuff. Right. I know. Um, yeah. It's bad. We're not able to get home care because nobody's willing to do that. We have hours allocated, but we can't get that. And we had like, you know, really bad. Somebody almost killed them and stuff. So I'm really weary mm. about the people, the quality of the people that do home care. That terrifies me as like, what's going to happen when we're not around and like for his personal care mm-hmm. people are just not really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thinking about our audience, which is mostly educators, right. what's one thing that you want them to know, like from leaving this conversation? Okay. So the I was thinking about this last night. I think a big barrier is that everyone doesn't define inclusion the same. Hmm. So like when you, like if people think, well, inclusion is they're in the, they're in the room and we tried it, it's not working, you know, and, and in my book, this is my opinion. Inclusion is 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 only something to achieve. It's not like something that's it's not a moment. It's it's this idea. To me, it's something, it's not something that doesn't work or works, it doesn't work. It's only achieved when the student is in the class, when they're an active participant, when they have a sense of belonging, when they're getting the sports and services they need, and they're working on their individual goals, and they're in the places and what the peers they would be if they didn't have a disability. Now that's a whole big mouthful to say, but but I'm like, that is inclusion. And we kind of just, I think we the term is also hijacked. So now when you say inclusion, nobody thinks of all those conditions that I think are inclusion. And I don't know if somehow we have to change our language because the word inclusion is hijacked. People in segregated settings use the word inclusion. They use, well, kids are included. And they're, no, they're not, but they say that, you know, they, and, and they say, well, they, they take them out in the community or something. And or they say they have a quality of life. So all of the terms that we use, I think they're being hijacked. And and also in politics too, like inclusion is like now like a red flag for some people that are like political zealots and that. So I think we got to get away from the terms and really just describe, you know, what it is. What are, what are we looking for? What is the goal? We want kids in there. We want them successful. This is what success looks like. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I mean, I li- it terrifies I- me that, this, that, it, that the terms are hijacked. I just, I mean, I was like on this group and, you know, they they were fighting for in Pennsylvania. We still have some institutions open. And the one mom is like saying like what we say about inclusion for the institution, like Woodhaven, like Woodhaven, because they have, they're involved and they, they, they have a community and they're included. And I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that idea. I don't know if I've heard it put quite that way, that it's not a thing that is either you you can do it right or wrong. It's just that you've met conditions. Yeah, that's how you know? I do it. Yeah, so I like that. When I tell people, like, I'll say, like, I'm going to tell you my definition of inclusion, and this is the only right one, whether you agree or not. So just make it, and that's it. <laughs> I don't know how else to get, like, if I'm presenting to teachers, I'm like, you have to have 
a common understanding of what it means. Yeah. I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I'm just like trying to say this, you know, you have well, to. Well, no, I, I think that I think you do need a common understanding of what it is because, well, and when we're working with school districts, that's one of the first things we do is we we talk, we have a shared, un, it's, we call it a shared understanding uh, yeah. of inclusive practices because, you know, if they, if someone thinks that you can be included and still have segregated settings or like it's okay, like we're just going to have these segregated settings and if some, and a family can choose that and that's okay, yeah. you know, and that's inclusion. That's not what we mean. Right. Yeah. And then use choice as the guise of like, you know, oh, that's. Right. A choice, but it's not really a choice. <laughs> yeah. Like you're, yeah. You're like, well, here's where, I mean, and they said that to us with Sean a lot. Like if you go here, he's going to get the therapy needs. He's going to get, you know, the strategies and all that. And I'm like, great. Write them all down. Bring him over here where he's going to school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. I find myself when I never had to go to due process. I literally just talked them to death. <laughs> that is interesting. <laughs> he was, Sean was the first with his amount of needs to be included in our school district. And they really did not want him. And uh, can I ask what school district? Palisades. Palisades. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I know one of the questions you asked was about why I thought inclusion was so important. Yeah. Something why? like that. Yeah, why is inclusive and, education important to you? Yeah, and I and I and because I, I wanted to bring that around that I beyond like you know quality of life and being that I I think it's a civil rights issue first. I I mean like who wants to just be excluded because of something innate of who you are or but you know and I I just think that when kids are included then it it's it's showing everybody that everybody is valued and has equal worth and that you know that. That, that they have a right to have their needs met just like anyone else. And, you know, and I just grew up with that, like with my family, like civil rights are really important. So mm. I, I just think that, you know, you're denying someone their, their, their right. And when they're included, then they have high, I, I, I know for a fact they have higher expectations. <laughs> like I, the things when Sean was, he were like trying to get him to do like goofy, stupid things. And I'd be like, you know, when he was in class, when he was in, I, like they, when he was in that preschool and that, then they would want to, they wanted to, it was like I said, it was kind of inclusive, but it had, it was reverse mainstreaming. Mm-hmm. So Sean wanted to learn his letters. Like he was taking can- letters out of a can and holding them up like P and then putting with the purse and all that. He was like three or four. He was really young doing that. Nobody ever his whole life really worked on reading with him. He just learned it himself, really. Uh, but anyway, he was doing that. And they said, though, we, we can't start doing letters because the rest of the class isn't there. And I always remember that. Like, so if you're in the regular class, I don't think they're going to say like, Johnny can't learn about this because everybody else isn't caught up with them. But it was like, you know, I just know that the expectations are a lot higher and he could do whatever level anybody can do, whatever they can do in the regular class. And like that whole thing with there's no harm. And so, so if, if Sean's exposed to learning about the stock market or learning about Egypt and that, and you're not sure what he gets, like what, what's the harm? <laughs> Like there is no harm, but if he never got to sit with his peers and ask questions and participate and was always excluded, that is great harm. Who wants to have that kind of life? And then when you leave school, like now he's like, like I said, he goes to the library. People know him. People come up to him. I don't even know who they are. And they say hi to him and they leave. And I'm like, who the heck was that? You know, but nobody would know him if he was, had not been included. And, you know, and 
And those and the peers that knew him now are, you know, running their own businesses and doing, you know, becoming doctors and all that. And they're more accepting of people with disabilities in their life because they knew Sean. They all know what a communication device is. They all know, you know, how to assist somebody or how to be respectful. They know that because they grew up knowing Sean. And, you know, that wouldn't have happened. So that's uh, why I think inclusion is, is, is just so very, it's important, not just to the people, kids with disabilities, but to, to everybody, to society. Because a student, when Sean was in the classroom, what I always said is like, he was the gauge of that teachers. If they were able to successfully include Sean, good teaching is good teaching. And they were teaching all the kids well. And, and you know, I, I just thought, you know, you're doing it. You're a good teacher. Because like on, on any given day, there's going to be a kid that doesn't get a lesson, doesn't think that way, you know, is sick or has a, has a broken arm. Or, so there's always going to be something where not every kid can do a lesson the way you prepared it. And if you're prepared to adapt that for whatever comes because of one student in your room with a need, then you're prepared for all the students. That's the way I see it. <laughs> Colleen Tomko, thank you so much for spending some time with us. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Think Inclusive is written, edited, and sound designed by Tim Viegas and is a production of MCIE. Original music by Miles Kredich. Attention school leaders, did you know that you can team up with the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education to promote inclusive practices in your school or district, regardless of your location? MCIE has partners in Maryland, Illinois, Virginia, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and more joining us in this work. Our goal is to expand partnerships in every state in the U.S. and beyond. The first step is to start a conversation with us. Visit our contact page at mcie.org contact and let us know that you want to transform your educational services to be inclusive of all learners. Also, please mention Think Inclusive in your message to let us know how you found out about MCIE. We can't wait to hear from you. A special thanks to our patrons, Melissa H., Joyner E., Pamela P., Mark C., Kathy B., Kathleen T., Jarrett T., Gabby M., Aaron P., Paula W., and Carol Q. for their support of Think Inclusive. Thanks for your time and attention, and remember, inclusion always works. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.